Well, good morning again. It's great to be worshiping with you all, and it's my privilege this morning to bring God's Word to us as we continue through the book of Exodus. Uh, before we open our scripture passage, I wanted to give just a brief kind of introduction into the, what's a, really a new section, uh, a new focus in the book. So as we look at this section, we'll shift our focus from what we've been hearing about uh, week after week, uh, the gift of God's redemption. We've been looking at how he redeems his people out of slavery, out of the land of Egypt, doing amazing uh, feats and miracles. And now we shift our attention into God's gift of the law, God's gift of the law. And as we'll see, these two are never separated, uh, but they are different, they're distinct. And as we look at chapter 19 of Exodus this morning, or the first part, uh, we'll consider just how redemption and the law relate. And so as we come to our text this morning, we really see the beginnings of God speaking to the people more publicly. Uh, this is some, something that he's doing on a broader scale than just between him and Moses. He establishes a covenant with his redeemed people. So open up with me to Exodus chapter 19. It's printed in your bulletin and will be on the screen above. This is the word of the Lord. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now... If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. This ends the reading of God's word. And let's pray together. Father, we need to hear you speak to us this morning. So may the words of this preacher and the meditations of our hearts together be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, the Lord our rock and our redeemer. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Perhaps the most important question that any human being can ask themselves is, how can I be right with God? But you may be here this morning asking yourself, what did I have for breakfast again? Or, man, what, what's for lunch? What sounds good? Or maybe that's just me, because I'm always thinking about food. <laughs> but as we consider these first few, few verses in Exodus together, I want us to understand something far more important than where we're going to get our next meal, or when we'll get our next paycheck, or even how we're going to deal with all the difficult things that we're facing in life right now. The real question is, 
How can you and I have a relationship with God? And the amazing thing is, the Lord promises that He will be our God and our Savior. He only calls us to trust in Him. So our sermon roadmap this morning has three markers. First, the God of the covenant. Second, the sanctions of the covenant, or the terms, conditions. And third, the response of the covenant. Can you hear the theme? There's covenant here. There's covenant language. And what I want us to walk away understanding is that God's covenant is a covenant of grace. And in it, He promises to be our God and our Savior. And He only calls us to trust in Him. And so the first point, the God of the covenant. Well, to begin with, what is a covenant? (laughs) Uh, Maybe you've heard the term before, uh, but you've never really understood exactly what it meant. Well, in a biblical context, a covenant is simply the way that God relates with His people. He establishes a covenant so that we know what it looks like to have a relationship with Him. And at the end of the day, God's covenant with us is a covenant of grace. He freely promises His blessings. He freely gives us His goodness and calls us only to trust in Him. But if God really wants us to trust in Him, if He wants His people to trust Him, then He has to show Himself to be trustworthy. Um, And that's the thing that He's done with the Israelites. Even in ways that maybe they didn't exactly realize. If you remember all the way back in Exodus chapter 3, when the Lord appeared in the burning bush to Moses on Mount Horeb, he said, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And lo and behold, here is Moses with the people at that same mountain, only three months after they had been delivered out of slavery and out of Egypt. But during that time, you know, maybe the people were wondering, what exactly God was up to. We've spent three months out here. Uh, Lord, what are you doing? You know, we're getting hungry. We're getting thirsty. We're complaining. Um, Maybe you can relate? I know I can. It wasn't long ago. I was sharing with you all just a moment ago about Julia and I and our family waiting to come out here, to come out to Utah, and and very anxiously waiting, right? And and trusting God or trying to, not perfectly, (laughs) Um, But in my opinion, it was taking way too long. (laughs) Yet, lo and behold, here we are, and the Lord has provided faithfully, uh, even abundantly, for us. And He did the same thing with the Israelites in His own time. But friends, the Lord is trustworthy. He takes care of us. He keeps His promises. And not only does he keep his promises, but he also has shown himself to be mighty to save. He is able to deliver and redeem. That's the whole first section of Exodus that we've been working through this this whole time. He has shown himself to be the redeemer of his people. Um, He did it by rescuing them from slavery, their brutal slavery in Egypt. He brought them miraculously through the Red Sea on dry ground. He defended them against the pursuing Egyptian army that would certainly have conquered them had he not taken care of his people. And they saw it. They witnessed it. They beheld it all with their own eyes. If God delivered them so powerfully, 
and led them through the wilderness, his presence in the pillar of cloud and fire, then certainly he will care for our lives as well. Right? It's also important to understand that the Lord delivered his people not because they were so good, not because they were so worthy. It wasn't because they had worked so hard as slaves in Egypt that they, they just earned God's deliverance. They hadn't done all the religious duties so faithfully that the Lord just had to keep his end of the bargain and save them. No. This deliverance was God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. All the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when he had promised to bless all the nations of the world through their descendants. Even back to the garden, when he had promised to to Adam and Eve this, this seed of the woman. He even promised to Jacob back in Genesis 46, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. This is before they had come into Egypt. The Lord said, I will go with you down into Egypt and I will also bring you up again. And Here it is. We see this promise fulfilled. God is faithful. He's doing it because He's good, because He's gracious. The Lord wasn't going to let His people perish in their slavery. Nor would He keep them in a foreign land where He had promised to deliver them. He had promised to bring them to a land where they could live forever, free. So friends, God is faithful. He redeems His people. He also protects his people. In our text, he describes himself in the way that he delivered Egypt, saying, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. This imagery of the eagles' wings reveals how God, like a mother eagle, spreads out. Uh, the way the, uh, the mother eagle would spread out her wings to protect her, her young from harm. The Lord protects us, his people, from enemies who would seek to destroy us. He's also described this way in eagle language in Deuteronomy 32, where it says, The Lord's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land, and in the howling waste of the wilderness, he encircled them. He cared for them. He kept them as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them, on its pinions. Friends, even when we fall, the Lord protects us and lifts us up to Himself. And that right there is the real reason why God delivers His people in the first place. So that we may belong to Him. All the earth is His. He says it right here. But we, you and me, are what he really wants. And he will spare no expense to bring us to himself. We are his treasured possession. So the Lord is loving. He is faithful. He delivers and protects his people. And because that's true, we have a reason to trust him. We have a reason to believe that he will also protect and deliver us even from ourselves. But we'll unpack that a little bit more in, in point three, point three. But understanding the character of God really gives us the proper perspective to understand the conditions or the terms or, or the sanctions of his covenant with Israel. And we're going to look at that right now in point two, the sanctions of the covenant. 
So let's look at that together uh, here, verses 5 and 6. Let's, let's read them. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This is what the Lord says to his people. They must obey him fully and keep his covenant. God is setting up the rules of what it looks like for his people to belong to him. I was thinking about it. Kids, school is coming up. And it's kind of like when you go to the first day of class. And what does the teacher normally do? She'll tell you the rules of the classroom. Here's what it is. Here's what you do. Here's what you don't do. If you want to speak, please raise your hand. That kind of thing, right? Uh, she tells you the rules of the class so that everyone knows what's expected of them to be a part of that classroom. Well, similarly, God is explaining his rules to the nation of Israel so they can know what he expects of them. And this is what is required of them if they are to be God's kingdom of priests and the holy nation because that's the promise of the sanction, the sanctions that he uh, promises for their obedience. Well, the people of Israel were called to be a holy nation. So let's unpack that a little bit. What does this look like? What does that mean? Well, it makes sense to be a holy nation if you belong to a holy God. But what does that mean? Uh, what does it mean that God is holy? Well, for God, holiness is his absolute moral purity. There is no stain of sin or evil in God. But it also refers to his distinctness. He is different. He is set apart. He is unlike his creation. He is the creator, the only one. And so, if God's people are to reflect him, then they also are to be holy, distinct, separated. They are to be morally pure and good. They were to live lives uh, of worship um, differently than their neighbors were living because they were called to reflect God's character to the watching world. Whew. Not an easy task. Also, this high calling is Israel being called to be a kingdom of priests. So, a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, what does that look like? Well, they're to be people who make the holiness of God known uh, to the nations around them. They are to connect other people with God, to be a kind of mediator. Now, we know what a mediator is because we've been seeing Moses do it. Moses is the mediator between God and the people. He represents God to the people in many ways. He brings their prayers to God. He's kind of the go-between guy. And so Moses served as, as this priestly mediator, bringing the people and their desires to God, and also God's word uh, to the people. And so here, the covenant of God stipulates that if the people obey the Lord, the whole nation will be this kingdom of priests. Everyone will be serving in this role. Everyone will be functioning as priests to represent God to the world. It's a high calling. This is Israel, God's treasured possession. His holy people, a kingdom of priests. Whew! But talk about pressure. And the Lord hasn't yet said what would happen if they don't obey him fully. In this section, God is essentially saying, if you do all I command, then you will become all that you were made to be. 
If you do all that I command, then you're going to be all that you were made to be. So obedience is the key. And as we consider our next point, we'll see that the people are actually very excited. I mean, this is a high calling. This is a tremendous honor. They're very excited about this prospect, prospect, at least at first. And so our third point, the response to the covenant. So Moses is here presenting God's words to the people, and they're very enthusiastic. We will do everything the Lord has said. And I'm sure they had the best of intentions. But we might wonder if they had really thought through their commitment all the way. I mean, is that realistic? To do all that the Lord has said? And this hits on the problem that I mentioned earlier. We actually need to be delivered and protected from ourselves. The difficult reality of, of human nature is that according to the Bible, all of us, every human being has become corrupted and guilty of sin. And sin at its core is really a failure to keep the law of God. And that failure, it stems from this corruption that exists deep down inside of every single one of us. So while the rules that God gives his people are good, the problem is that we are not. And our sin cuts us off from a holy God and from all his blessings. The Israelites, they really wanted to obey the Lord. Right? They wanted to do what was right. But as we continue to make our way through Exodus, we will find that they fail miserably again and again. But friends, isn't the same also true of us? Even those of us who have been redeemed by the Lord, we're still going to struggle with sin throughout our earthly lives. We will never be completely free from sin in this life. So the question is, how can we who have sinned against God, we've broken His law and failed in so many ways, how can we ever be restored to a right relationship with Him? And friends, there's good news. And to hear it and to see it, we have to look to Jesus. The Israelites responded to God's law by saying, we will do everything the Lord has said. And they failed. But Jesus responds to God's law by saying, I have done everything the Lord has said. Where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded so that he could be our perfect redeemer, fulfilling the law and securing our place with God forever. You see, friends, the Christian faith is not a matter of doing our best to stay in God's game of Simon Says. God's purpose from the beginning was to show his amazing grace, his free kindness and favor to a sinful and undeserving people. And then he freely gives us his record of obedience that is not our own, but freely credited to us in Jesus Christ, his Son. Jesus, the one who was crucified for our sin, paying the debt of our sin, and raised to new life on the third day for our justification. Friends, are you trusting in this Jesus? 
If you haven't yet, it's not too late. Jesus welcomes the sinful, the broken, the fearful, and the unworthy. Come to Him is the invitation, and He will give you rest. Now you might be wondering, if God knew that Israel would fail, why did he even give the law in the first place? What's the point? Well, one of the big reasons God gives his law to Israel is to help them to see how far they fall short of the holiness he requires so that they would cry out to God to send the one to give the grace that he had promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, that he had promised to Adam and Eve in the garden, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. The law helped Israel to look forward in faith to the one who would redeem them, ultimately, not just from slavery to Egypt, but slavery to sin and death. They would look forward to Christ in faith. Galatians 3.14 says it this way, that God's law served as a guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith, declared to be righteous in God's sight. And so those who are accepted by God and counted holy in His sight through faith in Jesus, the Apostle Peter calls us living stones being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So this promise of priesthood, this promise that we get to represent God to each other and to the nations to help bring people to God has been given to all of his people, man and woman alike, through Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing is that when we are right with God through faith in Jesus, we will actually then become all that we were created to be. We begin to receive God's law as not just a mirror showing us our sin, but as loving words of guidance from a Father who loves us in heaven, a gracious Father. So friends, how is God calling you to respond to His grace? Even as you're resting in Christ, and growing to be more like Him. How might we as a church be that royal priesthood among our friends and our neighbors, our family members and and co-workers to bring them the love of Christ and to show them the grace of our Savior? We're only going to make a small beginning of obedience in this life. But one day, we will be perfectly what we were created to be. One day, we will be glorified in heaven. And that is the hope that the law also points us to, that this, even though you will not achieve it, and you could never earn your place with God by keeping it, is one day what you will be by God's grace. So friends, let us cling to that hope that is secure forever in Christ. I want to wrap up by saying and reminding us that the Lord promises to be our God and Savior. 
He only calls us to trust in Him. And so while God's law is a gift to us, it can also never be the way that we have a right relationship with Him. Only Jesus could fulfill all that the law required. And only He has then offered us His record of perfect obedience, which is freely given to all who will believe in Him. It's by faith that we are right with God. And that faith also shapes us into a people who are called to walk humbly with God, growing in obedience to Him and relying on the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And so one day our faith will also carry us to that day that we meet the Lord face to face, where we will be free forever from our sin to live in perfect harmony with each other and with God forever. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we rejoice and delight in your amazing grace that has given us hope. Lord, a hope that is not based on our performance or our obedience, but a hope that is based on the finished work of Jesus. So help us, Lord, this week to cling to him, to know that it is well with our souls, because you, O Lord, have done it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.